And we'll be back with more with William Peters, and we'll take your calls as we talk about at Heaven's Gate, shared death experiences right here on Coast to Coast AM. And we are back with William Peters right here at Coast to Coast. William, what's the message you would like a reader to take away when they read at Heaven's Door? Well, I I want them to realize that death is really just such a a mystical, uh, wondrous experience. It's an experience that offers us um, an opportunity to experience some of the the more spiritual aspects of our being in, in a sense that I want people to really step into death as a as a way of getting to know themselves and the nature of reality in the deepest, most intimate way that, quite frankly, is really beautiful, wonderful, loving. It kind of offers us the opportunity for the best, most sublime experiences that we can have as human beings. I feel that death is a doorway in our culture that is largely closed. We need to open it up and tap into the, the more spiritual, enduring aspects of, of ourselves. I'm interested with these so-called conductors, whether they're the guardian angels or spirit guides that pop up. Tell me a little bit more about that, your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you know, the one of the... Look, we see angels or elevated beings reported about... 17% of the time in our research. So it's just under one in five experiences. But they're, sometimes they're just these angelic light beings, if you will, that seem to be um, present and observing. But sometimes these beings are active. In other words, they, they are facilitating this transition. That's the best way I can say it. They have an active role they are not observers. They are, you know, engaged in this transition of human souls or spirits um, across the threshold. And sometimes they're quite forceful. I mean, I'm thinking of an early case. I'll give you another one where um, at this time I didn't have the term conductor. I knew about elevated spirit beings that appear, but I didn't think of it in terms of a conductor. It was later I read over this case, and I'll share it with you. Oh, you know, uh, a daughter is at the bedside of her mother dying, and all of a sudden she sees this majestic, she describes majestic, large, almost military-type being, male, come down, and it's almost a type of uniform, she said. And he started moving his arms almost in a coaxing motion, and he literally pulled the spirit of her mother out of her out of her mother's body, and she saw this translucent kind of ghost-like um, figure leave out of her mother's frown, if she will. And then the, her mother was out of the body fully, very close to the conductor, as almost as if to embrace. At that point, the conductor, who was very focused and stern and like doing this practice, if you will, almost ritually, like pulling the spirit out, all of a sudden the conductor calms down as if to say, We've done the hard work here, and there's a relaxing, and then uh, there's a, all of a sudden she sees her mother elated and happy and free and moving around in this disembodied state, 
and the conductor then backs off a little bit, uh, but then is clearly, you know, ushering this ascension with the uh, the dying uh, upper. In this case, it was the mother who then turned and, and thanked the daughter. Uh, was elated, and they moved upwards. And then other beings were there as well. These were not conductor beings. These are what we call kind of the welcoming party, some elevated beings, some deceased relatives, some you don't even know who they are. So there's kind of the idea of what the conductor, uh, how, it, how it presents itself, and how it's different uh, from other angelic or spirit beings. Let's take some calls with you for the remaining portion of this hour. Ray in Orlando, Florida, to get us started. Hey, Ray, go ahead. Oh, good afternoon. Good evening, rather. Hi. Uh, hello, Mr. Peters. I wanted to relate to you that most of the things you discussed are verified by my own experiences. Uh, Fifty years ago, my brother died, and we were 640 miles apart. And about 11 o'clock in the morning, 600 miles away, I looked up, I happened to be sleeping, and I saw a vision, an apparition in my, in my room. And when I looked at it, it was a vision of Jesus, and he was looking at me sadly. And I looked at him, and I wasn't sure what I was looking at. And when suddenly I had an overwhelming feeling that I was in the presence of God. And it was so beautiful and euphoric. So... Immediately, I had the suspicion that I don't know what, because I was looking. I was dumbfounded. I wasn't sure what I was looking at, but I knew I was all awake. And then I had the sense that this figure in front of me was telling me I can do what I wish. I can go with him or I can stay there. And I decided, no, I better not. So I, I just didn't know what this was all about. Then I went back to sleep. And then later that evening, that morning, I got a phone call that my brother had died in Baltimore, eight six hundred forty miles away from me in Massachusetts. Mm. But it was an overwhelming feeling. Uh, I, was, I guess I waited fifty years to say this: that yes, there is life on the other side. It's definitely there. What do you think of that, William? Thank you. Oh, uh, uh, Ray, thank you for sharing that, and I. I so appreciate that. And, you know, you brought up something that's really important, and that is for some people, uh, a significant religious or spiritual being will appear. Uh, we haven't done enough research on this to verify this, but it seems like um, other, you know, this is what the NDE research says, and we're we're just starting to do this research ourselves. It seems like in other like Asian cultures that there are more spiritual, uh, identifiable spiritual beings with uh, different religious traditions that appear. But I love your case, Ray, because when you see Jesus appear, uh, that is a sign, obviously, of a high elevated being who's come to, in, in my estimation, I do see this in the research, to provide comfort and verification that something significant has happened. And, of course, it was verified by uh, your learning that your brother had died. I would love for you, Ray, if you would reach out to my research team at sharedcrossing.com. We'd love to learn more about your experience. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing it And 50 years ago, and you still remember it. Sure does. Sounds like almost clear as day. That's wonderful. William, with these shared death experiences, is there a common denominator that keeps popping up that you could talk about? 
I mean, I think the common denominator is, like I said, the most dominant feature is 51% of the shared death experiencers will see the dying in their transition. They'll see them ascending. They'll see them, you know, moving into the heavenly realms. They'll see them encountering other deceased relatives. Sometimes they'll have, uh, see them have a life review. They'll see them in the tunnel. They'll see them heading towards the light. You know, those are the those are the dominant features that let us know uh, that this is an SDE. And by the way, I should say, the overwhelming majority of the people who report these experiences to us have no idea that the SDE exists. They don't know that it's a category of any kind. They don't know it's a trope of any kind. They don't know anything about it. They're coming to us rather... I dare say humbly, even sheepishly, to say, well, I heard about the SDE. I don't know if I've had it, but here's my experience. That will all change, George, because now that my, my book is out there, um, you know, and, and the word is getting out, and, and people are really, you know, dialoguing increasingly about the SDE, and they're basically saying, hey, I think I had this experience. I read this book. I had, you know, one of these, mm-hmm. and... And so now the, the, our culture is starting to talk about this experience, and I would use the SDE, excuse me, the NDE phenomena as, a, as an example for how the SDE may evolve in the public consciousness. Fifty years ago, Raymond writes, you know, life after life about the N, NDE, and of course, communication was a lot different then, and there wasn't social media. Well, the SDE is really taking off right about now. So I think if we were to talk in a few years, George, this would be a really different conversation because the, the knowledge about it would be a lot higher. William, have you ever had anybody with an SDE say he didn't like the experience that it bothered him? Just those who have what we call sympathetic SDEs, and that is they experience the you know, somatic, visceral experiences of the dying. So like the example I gave in the first hour here was about somebody who senses that the experience of their dying loved one. So if you have a drug overdose or a heart attack, that's another one we see. People will say, you know, I'm thinking of one case from Mona in our research. She talks about She's in her car, she's in the parking lot, she's about to start her car, but all of a sudden she has pressure in her chest, she has difficulty breathing, and she literally slumps over the steering wheel, goes unconscious, then she kind of it passes, the pain in her heart uh, diminishes, she goes, wow, it feels like I kind of had a heart attack. She gets a call a few minutes later that uh, her spiritual teacher, who she was about to drive up and visit, uh, just died of a heart attack. That's a sympathetic SDE. You have a strong connection with the person dying, and you experience some of their phenomena as they're they're crossing over and leaving this life. Those are distressing, especially when they don't understand why they're having that experience. Exactly. Cynthia is with us, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Hi, Cynthia. Hi. Yes. uh, I've had near-death experiences about four times in my life, but the most uh, recent was uh, not with me, but with my aunt. She had uh, informed her husband uh, that she was passing, and he was angry with her. And uh, and the next day, she collapsed into a coma. 
and we all went to the hospital, and I said, uh, uh, praying for her to come or to go, and he said to go. And then I went into a spiritual prayer, and then I started having um, pulsations like I was having a heart attack. And I said, I got to go. And I, I, I prayed all the way home, and I prayed, and an hour and a half later, she passed. Wow. And then she came to me, spiritually, she came to me to relay a message to my uncle. I conveyed the message to him, but he wasn't welcoming it at that time. But the next morning, he came to my house. He never went to my house, and he gave me a bouquet of flowers and said, nobody knew what you just told me. It was just between your aunt and me. And uh, so I felt that spiritual connection, and that's the most I can do as far as being an interim in the spiritual realm to the physical realm. It's a great story, William. It's a beautiful story. And yes, Cynthia, that is, you know, a kind of shared death experience. How beautiful. And it's wonderful that you were able to uh, share it with other family members. And then in this case, it sounds like this was your uncle that was able to affirm your experience and, and bring you that uh bouquet of flowers. Uh, that's wonderful when, you, when the SDE, and I think the SDE serves this purpose of it's so powerful that it, it, it transforms people and it brings people closer together. And I think that is uh, why, another reason why I think the dying, and this answers a question you were asking me earlier, George, which is the dying, I believe, feel comforted themselves and grateful that their death can bring people together uh, and they can share these profound spiritual experiences. It's pretty dramatic stuff, isn't it? Oh, I, you know, I think so. And, and this is why I'm, you know, I've been watching this since uh, this experience was on the margins of our culture and being discounted and dismissed. It's not anymore. People are talking about it and we're just getting started here, George. I think this is going to change the way people uh, n not just look at the way, you know, we die in this country, but it's also going to look, change the way we live. And we're going to start getting really prepared and curious about how we die and, and do it a lot differently with a lot more mindfulness, preparation, and uh, make it a sacred event that it needs to be. First time caller, Rob, Youngstown, Ohio. Hey, Robbie, go ahead. Hi. So I was just... Uh... First time caller, and thank you for taking my call. But, thank you. Uh, um, so I've never had a near-death experience that I can recall, but I was just wondering, what do you think actually happens when you do pass on to the afterlife? Like, personally, I believe we're all energy, so you can't destroy it or anything like that. So we, we wake up to another state of consciousness, something like that. What's on the What's on the other side, William? Well, you know, Rob just stated the the first law of thermodynamics, which is that energy can never be created or destroyed. It can just be transmuted or transformed into a different form. And I think you're on it, Rob. I think that when we go through this experience we call human death, 
that this core of ourselves, soul, spirit, consciousness, which is energetic, it drops the human body, the physical aspect of itself, and goes into a different form, which is, you know, to use a rather clumsy term, it's a spirit body. Um, but I think the consciousness is still there. This is, you know, I've had, I should say, I've had a couple dozen SDEs and two near-death experiences, and they all have that common dimension uh, or experience that, hey, I'm in a different place, but I'm still here. You know, it's like the I that I identify with, this observing aspect of myself that can um, sense and feel and observe a phenomena around me is still there. Whether I'm in a body or not, I still have a consciousness that I can call, you know, kind of, no, don't know if I'd call it William, but I can certainly say it's, it's a me. Uh, and so... And I think that's where, you know, life gets really exciting because life doesn't die at human death. It just takes on a different form. And you see more phenomena. You experience more of our universe. And I'm quite frankly um, ecstatic about it because I think that the SDE shows us the initial dimensions uh, in the afterlife. But there seems to be a lot more beyond that light. And I think and it, and it all feels and, you know, benevolent and loving uh, and kind. And I don't hear any significant cases in the SDE of, of hell realms or even, even purgatory-type limbo states. A little bit of that, but nothing, nothing in compared to the overwhelming majority of really glorious states of existence. I was going to ask you, William, I haven't heard you mention the devil. Don't see that, George. I wish, you know, just because it's such a, I, I like to see a negative force in the SDE. I, I have seen forces that are not me personally, but I have heard, had accounts where there was a conductor that was uh, protective and almost fiercely so. And I'll give an example of this, George, because I think this is, tells us something about the way we die. Um, there was a... I, I'll tell you what, we're coming up to the break, uh, William. Let's okay. uh, We'll do the example when we come back and take final phone calls right here on Coast to Coast AM. William Peters with us. His book, At Heaven's Door, just came out, so take advantage of it. It's a great read about shared death experiences. And we'll be back with final calls with William Peters, author of At Heaven's Door, in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. So get ready to go. We are back with William Peters, our final segment, and your final calls here on Coast to Coast. William, the break got us, and you were going to cite some example for us. Yeah, thanks, George. You know, this question you raised, which is common, you know, are there negative or demonic forces mm -hmm. um, that greet us? And, you know, and we have seen not a lot, but a few cases where, this presence, which I call the conductor, appears, and one, I'll share one case that's illustrative, because we have a couple like this. A woman shared an example where her mother was on life support, and she'd been on life support for about a week, and the family did not want to let her go, but she was very uncomfortable, and they were keeping her here. Well, this woman is in the room with her mother alone, and she's praying, and this large force appears that she describes as, like, ominous, imposing. 
and almost pushing her back a little bit away from the bed. And at first she was scared by this force. And, 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 but then she realized this force was fiercely protecting her mother and, and knew that her mother was vulnerable. Um, and so we have this conductor playing this protective role at times. And sometimes I think they step into the human realm a little bit and use behaviors that we understand as, you know, stand away from the dying. They're vulnerable. I'm here to protect. And that can be a little bit off-putting, uh, a lot off-putting and scary to people. It doesn't happen very much. But what tends to happen, as in this case, was this woman had a shared death experience and then came to be transformed in her understanding of what that being, that conductor, was doing. It was lovingly protecting her mother, just doing it in a fierceful way. But as I'm saying this, I'm remembering the description. She said this figure was a female and it was holding something, but it was huge. She said it was like you know, four times the size of a human being. It took up the whole space of the room just to one side of her, of her mother. Back to the calls we go, west of the Rockies. Gina Maria in Washington State. Hi, Gina. Go ahead. Hello. I'm love and peace and healing, and God bless to everyone. Thank you. Everything everywhere first. Um, I have a couple short experiences and then um, a question. Um, my um, dog and cat, um, I'd rescued a cat, and my dog was the protector and kind of guardian of the cat um, to protect it from the other cats so that it could come in the room, eat and drink and all that. Well, um, when the cat was dying, I told the dog um, that um, Indigo, she's dying, and um, and my dog kind of wailed, and then we all climbed on the bed and... We were laying there, and after a while, um, both of them lifted their heads and turned in the opposite direction and looked up in the corner of the ceiling in the room and were obviously both seeing the white light. And when the cat passed on, um, the dog obviously was watching this, seeing this, and um, and wailed. And when we did the ceremony for burying the cat, the um we all, my friends and I all said our piece, and then I said something, and then I told my dog it was her turn, and she put her paws in the hole on top of the box and wailed. My friends were amazed that, you know, an animal would have that much emotion. And um, mm. the second thing I wanted to say was um, when I was um, adopted at 12 and a half, um, I had a vision a year later, 13 and a half, and it was my original mom um, appeared in front of me, and she was hovering, and she was see-through, but you could see her and kind of glowing. And um, she said to me um, that she loved me, and she said she was sorry, and she said goodbye. And I didn't find out till a year after that um, that she had passed away that year before, right when I saw her. And my question was, has he ever heard about that with an animal um, having a shared experience? Wow, Gina Maria, what wonderful experiences. And I want to affirm you right away in saying that um, we hear a great deal about SDEs with pets, uh, dogs and cats for one. Also, we hear about them, hmm. and we have cases now. We're collecting them. So uh, we have them with horses as well. I, I've learned that um, you know people in the equestrian community in particular uh, but also, you know, out in, in you know, kind of um, 
areas where people work with horses, there's such strong bonds. So we, we have SDEs with these animals as well. Uh, in fact, I had a, we had a case where a woman who uh, had an equestrian um, organization, basically, and she was in the Caribbean, and in the middle of the night, her favorite horse came to her and said, I, it was my time, I had to go, and thank you for caring for me, continue your work caring for you know, all of us in the stable, and I'll see you again later. And she woke up in the middle of the night. She called back to her you know, stable in, uh, I think it was in Kentucky. And, and they said, well, how did you know we were going to call you when you got up in the morning to tell you that, you know, uh, your horse had died? So these experiences happen. And I, Gina Marie, I want to encourage you and other listeners, if you've had an experience with a pet, please reach out to us at sharedcrossing.com. Uh, go to the contact page. Tell us a bit about your story, and my research team will get in touch with you because these are very significant events. People are quite close, me included, to our animals and pets, and these experiences need to be honored. I want to say something else, Gina Marie, about your uh, – it sounds like your birth mother coming to you at uh, 12 and a half, 13 years old. That is a spectacular shared death experience, very evidential. Uh, I would love for you to share that with our team if you would be so kind. Uh, and how powerful that she came to you, how loving that she said goodbye to you. Um, and it sounds like she even apologized, uh, which is quite humbling and touching. Thank you. These are spectacular examples. Do shared death experiences happen, William, when you least expect it? Well, this is, yes. I mean, these are the remote SDEs we talked about, George, which, uh, like I said, about 64% of our cases, almost two-thirds are remote. And they're so powerful when you have a case like Gina Marie's where you're not expecting anything. You don't know anybody who's actually dying. And then you get visited in some way. You have the SDE. It's so profound that you stop what you're doing and you follow up. You make the phone calls. You reach out. You do the emails. Hey, I just had this strange dream about my uncle or dad or so-and-so. Uh, you know, I just want to know, is everything okay? And most of the time they say they find out, oh, my gosh, how did you know so-and-so just died? Exactly. Next up, let's go to Walter in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Walt. Hi, George. George, I, I suppose that philosophically, I think I've said to you, obviously, before that, that philosophically you could say that life is itself a, a slow death. So I guess you could say that living is a, a shared death experience, if you want to call it that. Uh, I was telling Gina that this evening we learned about the untimely death of Lisa Marie Presley. Yeah. And there were uh, hundreds of people, not thousands, at the Golden Globe Awards with her. And I'm sure that in hindsight, there they might say that they, you know, that she felt uh, that they felt her death coming on. And uh, it's just another uh, uncanny, unexplainable thing in uh, human existence. Now, Georgia, I, you know, as far as a near-death experience goes, I think that the critical word there is near because. Uh, I've used the uh, the example of Ted Williams, George. Even if they would thaw out Ted Williams tomorrow and he were able to uh, come back to life and or come out of his state of suspended animation and say that, well, he was in a, a tunnel where he saw the light, George, to my, uh, 
to my uh, critical uh, uh, criteria, he, he could that couldn't be trusted as coming back from death because he's in a he's in a state of suspended animation. His EEG waves are slowed to such an extent that, uh, but he's not dead, George. You know what I mean? Um, I thought they just had his head, Walter. Yeah, they have his body, too, but his head and his body are different uh, receptacles from what I understand. That's what I hear. And Walt is our resident skeptic there, William, but uh, what do you think of his comments? Well, I mean, I, I, one of the things that's interesting about this, you know, Lisa Marie Presley is, and you, you said this here, Walter, that, you know, this notion that maybe these people were having, um, I don't know if you use this directly, but... You know, they had premonitions, perhaps, uh, which is a type of shared crossing experience, not a shared death experience, but a sense that she was dying. And this is something we see in our research quite a bit, is that people have these premonitions, precognitive knowings, if you will, that a loved one uh, will be dying soon or that they themselves will be dying soon. And and I think it's just important to, to continue to have these conversations because it normalizes this type of insight, this type of knowledge that, you know, we tend to look at as scans. I mean, you know, the, the coast-to-coast is not so much, but you know, as we know, the general public, a little more skeptical. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like your comments. I like your skepticism um, here, Walter. Um, but I think if we study this, the more we study the SDE and these other end-of-life phenomena, I think we'll find that they're – they're legit. They're happening at a much higher uh, probability that would be just coincidence. It's very difficult to discount these experiences because the patterns are so profound and so identifiable, and they're happening in minds of people who don't know about these experiences. Let's go to Charles, truck driving in Elgin, Illinois. Hey, Charles, go ahead. Hey, how are you guys? Oh, wonderful. Good to have you with us. Okay, well, real quick, uh, January 4th, 2001, my uncle passed away. Okay. He always said he would haunt the house that he passed away in. And I ended up with the house, and I see strange stuff happening. How do I send his soul onto the other side. And secondly, my girlfriend passed away a couple days later, January 6th, 2021. Uh, and she visited me from uh, the realm she was in. Uh, my question is, how could I transcend to the realm to see her? Both interesting questions, uh, William. Yeah, let's pick up with your girlfriend who died. It sounds to me like your girlfriend, uh, that's a visitation or a vision you had of her. And you know, one of the ways we distinguish the shared death experience from other end-of-life phenomena is the SDE tends to have this journey aspect in it. it tends to be a, a movement that 
that the experiencer is observing or sensing, or in some cases, accompanying them through this afterlife, if you will. When you have an experience that I think you're describing here, Charles, that your girlfriend is coming to you and she's appearing to, and you're having a vision of her, you're not seeing a journey. You're seeing her visiting you stationary, typically delivering a message. You didn't say too much about the message, but in my research, I'll bet she came to you to say, I'm alive and well. I just wanted you to know that. She might have had a specific message for you as well, um, because that's common. But that's different. And your question about how can you get to where she is, well, Boy, that is a, that's a tough question. I mean, that's, that's kind of the work of what, you know, a lot of psychics and mediums do. Um, but for you, I think to be increasingly inviting your girlfriend to come and visit you um, and to set up a space, you know, a time in your day. Maybe it's before you go to bed or you do a ritual and you, you really open yourself. And, and you don't just do this once. Do this as a practice. Do it day in and, you know, every evening or whenever you feel like you want to do it. I think night's a good time for these because right before you get into this dream state where you have this, you're, you know, you're, you get into these hypnagogic, hypnopopic states where you can leave your body and have more connection with, um, you know, departed beings. So those are the practices that I would do to access uh, where your girlfriend is and communicate with her. Really have conversations as if she is there and and see what you get back. But do it as a practice. Don't just do it a few nights and say, oh, it's not working. No, do it for a month. And I, I can assure you, you will get some sort of communication. And and if you wouldn't mind, Charles, let me know what you, what you get. Um, communicate to me at sharedcrossing.com. Absolutely. William, the book at Heaven's Door, available at Amazon and more else. Any place else? Pretty much uh, anywhere, you know, you can buy books. It's my publisher, fortunately, is Simon & Schuster, and they have a really good distribution. They are very good. Thank you, and uh, keep in touch with us. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDessour, Gina Salvati, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.